0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. weekend so far. I really enjoyed being here. Thanks again for having me. It's, it's been fun. You're a really friendly group of people. I loved just getting to chat to a few of you after the service this morning, those of you who were here this morning. So it's been wonderful um and tonight I want to look at a, another um another issue this morning for those of you that were here we did speak about wisdom and what it means to really um allow God's word and his truth to lay out the decisions that you make at every juncture in your life and and how that leads you on a pathway of being protected and and, and flourishing and so I guess that was more of the, the micro kind of you know how do we make Day-to-day decisions, and what I want to talk about tonight is more about, I guess, the macro—the what guides the overall pathway, what guides the bigger picture trajectory in our life. And in that vein, I actually want to talk about the subject of citizenship, um, which sounds like a pretty weird thing to probably talk about at church, doesn't it, on a a Sunday night? Um, But for those of you who might have been around the Christian traps for long enough, you probably at some point heard of Christians being called citizens of heaven. Anyone kind of with me on that one? You've heard that before. Well, that's what I want to kind of look at tonight is what does that mean? But more importantly than what it means is how does being a citizen in heaven, which is effectively a destination, I guess, shape our purpose here on earth where we currently live? Is that all right? So before we do that, how about we pray and just commit the rest of the time we have tonight to God? Jesus, we thank you for an amazing day in your house, Lord Jesus. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that it's so accessible to us, Lord God, that it's so relevant, that it is so deep, that it has so much meaning that we can draw from, Lord God, to not just guide our steps, Lord Jesus, just to to guide our overall life, Lord God, that it can be one that is meaningful and purposeful, Lord Jesus. And I pray that as you bring your word this evening, Lord God, that you would allow it to land on fertile soil, Lord Jesus, that there will be people in here, Lord God, that will take your word, that will hear your word, that will Receive it, Lord Jesus, and they will go out from here, Lord God, to follow pathways that you have established for them. Visions, Lord God, that you will birth in them, Lord Jesus. Passions, Lord God, that you will kindle anew and refresh, Lord Jesus, within them, Lord God. I pray that this becomes a powerhouse of believers who will shake their community and shake their nation. All for your glory, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, you will use these moments that we have right now to speak life and purpose and dreams into people's hearts, Lord God give them clarity and give them passion and give them um, the skills that they need to be able to take what you're saying to them and do something purposeful with it, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that it all comes back to your word, Lord Jesus, your living word, your written word, Lord God, and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, we just commit this time to you. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in this place. Amen. So for me, when you talk about this concept of citizenship, I um, was a a field worker with ACC International, which meant kind of like a missionary overseas for uh, the first 11 years of my time with ACCI in Cambodia. Um, And that's when I kind of became a little bit more conscious of this concept of citizenship. You know, I hadn't really thought about it too much prior to going and living in another country. And when I did do that, I became aware more about the power and the privilege that is attached to our citizenship. Now... Cambodia, if you happen to be single in Cambodia, a single Australian person in Cambodia, it can be a pretty, pretty flattering place to be. It can be the land of marriage proposals, which can do you a bit, give you a bit of an ego boost as long as you're happy to accept the fact that it's got nothing to do with how good you are or nice you are or uh, attractive you may or may not be and it's only got to do with your passport. If you can let that little, you know, that little detail slip by, it's an amazing boost for your ego and uh, one of my favourite marriage proposals, clearly my most favourite was when my husband uh, proposed to me, actually that's a funny story in and of itself, Um, but we won't go there tonight. My favourite outside of my husband was when I was probably about 22 years old, And in Cambodia, one of the the primary ways you get around the city is on little mopeds. We call them moto taxis. And so you kind of just go up to these moto taxis who are hanging around on different street corners and negotiate a price, tell them where you want to go, jump on the back and off you go. And so I walked up to this moto taxi, I needed to go somewhere. And you know, some people from a distance, you can see that they're quite quirky. He was one of those kinds of people. And uh, so I'm approaching him, and uh, he looks at me, knowing I'm about to come up to him, and he smiles. And so the first thing I see is that his front two teeth are missing, And the teeth on either side of those missing teeth, I have never seen someone sport such fluorescent yellow in their mouth. It was impressive. And he had this big smile. But the funniest part was he had this huge, big, floppy, crocheted, purple women's hat on his head. And it had this chiffon, kind of baby pink chiffon flower just stuck right on the front. And it was just, it was very bizarre, but he was just totally owning this look. He didn't seem to be, you know, feeling self-conscious about it whatsoever. And so I jumped on the back of this motor taxi and he strikes up a conversation with me. And he was just kind of firing questions at me. And when he'd asked enough questions to establish that I was both Australian and single, he shot his head around. He had one hand on on the handlebars of the motorbike. He had the other up his nose he was picking his nose he smiles at me with his toothless yellow grin and says do you want to marry me and I'm like hmm that's a nice offer and I'm trying not to appear shocked and horrified and so I just said oh no thank you as politely as I could and thought I'll just turn my head this way and maybe this conversation can just you know end there but he didn't take the hint and he kept on going so he was said well why not And I'm sort of like going, well, there's a list beginning to formulate in my mind, but it's not kind to go there. So I'll just say, well, because I don't know you and I don't love you. And he said, oh, well, I don't love you either. But I would love to be an Australian. I'd love to go and live in Australia. And you see, he, like many other Cambodians, had come to understand what an amazing country Australia is and the amazing privileges and rights that we as Australian citizens have. He knew that we have access to health care if we're sick that's free. He knew that in cases where, um, you know, we might be struggling economically, there's access to, to measures, to security systems within government to and it, make sure that we can survive, make sure that we can live. He knew all of that. And coming from a country like Cambodia, which is oppressive and has a lot of human rights violations and injustices, where there is no social security system or safety nets to catch people who are struggling with poverty, he wanted to escape that poverty and disadvantage and go and live in a country like Australia. But you see, he knew that there was a criteria for citizenship and he didn't meet it. He, wasn't, he had no birthright. He wasn't born in Australia. He wasn't born to an Australian parent. But he also knew that there was another criteria, another pathway and a criteria that you could meet in order to acquire citizenship. And that was via marrying an Australian or marrying someone who had Australian citizenship. So he's looking at me going, I've got a passport on the back of my motorbike. Let's see if this girl will agree to marry me. I was just the person in the right place at the right time. But, you know, similar to my motor taxi friend, none of us have a birthright to citizenship in heaven do we? It doesn't matter what country you're born in. It doesn't matter who your parents are, which parents or family you're born into. It doesn't matter. And in fact, not even marrying the right person. You can't marry a Christian to get citizenship in heaven. But the same thing goes. Citizenship in heaven is something that you can acquire if you meet a particular criteria. And the Bible tells us what that criteria is. In Revelation 3:12 it actually says there that if you conquer or overcome the world. Now if that's the criteria conquering or overcoming the world, it kind of sounds a little bit like the stuff of superheroes, doesn't it? You've got to get out there with your cape and your undies on the outside and somehow take over the world in order to become a citizen of heaven. But thankfully the Bible actually gives us a definition of what overcoming actually means, and it's found in 1 John chapter 5 verse 5 and it says Now, who is the person who has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So what this means is that we overcome the world not by taking control or exerting a power over the world or subduing the world. We overcome the world by denying the world its worldview and its power over us, by submitting to Jesus, dying to self, dying to the world's value system and choosing to live by Jesus. It's acknowledging that when we accept that Jesus is the Son of God, we accept that he was given authority over the world. And that's what it actually means to overcome. It's as simple as accepting Jesus as our Lord. Now, with that definition of overcoming the world or conquering the world in mind, let's go back to that scripture in Revelations 3.12. Because that passage then describes what rights are bestowed upon us when we actually overcome the world by believing in Jesus Christ. So let's have a read of this, Revelations 3.12. It says, The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never depart from it. I will write on him the name of my God and the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name as well. So this passage actually establishes three key rights that are bestowed upon anybody who chooses to believe in Jesus Christ or overcome the world under other terms. I'm just going to draw out two of them for the sake of time, but there's actually three in that scripture. You can go back and dissect it yourselves later. And the first one I want to look at is in that little kind of half sentence there that says, And I will write upon him the name of my God. This means that when we believe in Jesus Christ, God writes his name on us. This is a statement about belonging. This says, you now belong to me. You belong to my family. You are one of my children. You are an heir to my kingdom. This is a statement about identity. The first right bestowed upon us when we believe in Jesus Christ is the right to be a part of his family and accepted as one of his children. The second one we want to draw out, there is a continuation of that sentence. So it's, I will write upon him the name of the city of my God. The New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. Now, the New Jerusalem is just another term that's sometimes used in the Bible for the kingdom of heaven. So, what this is saying is that the kingdom of heaven that comes from God is being established here on earth. And when you overcome the world by believing in Jesus Christ, you have the name of the city written on you. You have the name of the kingdom of heaven written upon you. And just like having the name of God written upon you denotes belonging to God. Having the name of the city written upon you denotes belonging to the city. It's citizenship. It's establishing your right to citizenship in heaven the moment you choose to accept Jesus as the Son of God and your Lord and Saviour. We belong to God and we belong to heaven. We are citizens of heaven. So from that moment that we accept Jesus Christ, we acquire the right to citizenship in heaven and it's, that's despite the fact that we remain residents on earth, however long our life might, might, um, we might live. But who knows what the flip side of rights is? Responsibilities. Absolutely. So from the same moment, the same moment that we choose to accept the rights of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, we take on the citizenship, we accept that right to citizenship. From that same moment, we also have responsibilities, And we have the responsibility to live as citizens of the kingdom according to the laws and the values and the rule of heaven during the time we have on earth. You see, we can't just see our citizenship in heaven as a destination that one day will come to pass when we leave this earth. It actually creates a set of responsibilities that we are to enact from the very day that we actually choose to believe in Jesus Christ. And we're going to have a quick look tonight at what that actually means, both in principle and in practice. So crash course on citizenship, citizens inherently have what we call civic responsibilities, familiar with that term? just means the responsibilities that we have when we're a citizen of a given country or territory. Now our civic responsibilities are different, in any country they're always different but they are always shaped by the same three key things, the shared values of that country or territory, the laws of that country or territory and thirdly The way that that country or territory is politically organised, whether it's a democracy, a communist country, a dictatorship, or a monarchy, or hybrid, whatever it might be, however the country is politically organised has a massive impact on what your civic responsibilities are. Let me give you an example in Australia. Our civic responsibilities here as Australian citizens, they're shaped by our Australian laws. Who knows, we have a responsibility to uphold the law, to abide by the law, and should we choose to neglect that responsibility, we may not find ourselves here on a Sunday. We may find ourselves somewhere else on a Sunday. We also know that it is shaped by the values of the Australian country, values such as freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, equality before the law, a fair go. If there's ever going to be an Aussie term, it's the fair go, isn't it? These are all Australian values that shape our civic responsibilities. But probably the most critical one is the way Australia is politically organised. We live in a democracy. And because in a democracy, our leaders exist to represent the collective will of who? The people who vote for them. They are are our representatives. And we are therefore to share our values with them. We have a responsibility to communicate our values with them, communicate what's important to us, to them, and then we vote for the leaders who best represent what our values are, what is important to us. Or in other words, we vote for the leader who best represents our will. The kingdoms are not democracies. Kingdoms are monarchies. Kingdoms are ruled by a king or a queen and it is the king or the queen whose will reigns supreme. Citizens in a monarchy are subjects. They are to represent the will of the king or the queen who is the head of their state. It's very, very different to a democracy. And who knows what the kingdom of heaven is? It's a monarchy. It's a kingdom. And in the case of the kingdom of heaven, it is Jesus who is the king, which means it is Jesus' will that reigns supreme. And we know this because it is explicitly told to us in Matthew 6.10, where it says, Thy will be done on earth, As it is in heaven. In other words, His will is already ruling heaven. And what's happening as we as citizens express that same will on earth, that will, that rule is being brought to earth. It is being established in different situations through our expression, through our lives, through the way that we minister and the way we represent Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' will that reigns supreme in heaven. You see what this means? is that Jesus doesn't rule according to our will as citizens, unlike in a democracy. But who knows, you wouldn't want him to. You wouldn't want him to because our will, it's a product of our nature. And our nature is sinful, it's fallen, and it's self-centred. And anything that bends to the will of people will over time become corrupt and unjust as a result of that. As citizens of heaven, our civic responsibility is not to ask or demand or require Jesus to rule according to our will. Our responsibility as citizens of heaven is actually to do the opposite. It's to reside on earth in a way that represents Jesus and represents his will in the midst of an earth that is ruled by Satan. And what's his will? To kill and destroy. You see, just like Satan's will is the product of his evil nature... And our will is the product of our fallen nature. Jesus' will is the product of his perfect nature, which is always just and it is always righteous. And that is why the scripture establishes justice and righteousness as the two pillars of his throne. And it says that in psalm 8914 righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. This is really significant because do you know what this means? It means that those are the two values that shape the laws of the kingdom of heaven, justice and righteousness. And it is those two values, justice and righteousness, that characterize Jesus' rule. And when we pray in thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, do you know what you're praying? You're praying in justice and righteousness. You're ushering it in to the world. You're ushering it into your life. You're ushering it into your workplace, your community, your society, into our world. That's what their prayer actually means. And our civic responsibilities are to pursue lives that increasingly reflect God's righteousness and justice. But it is also to pursue righteousness and justice as our mission. This actually establishes our mission our purpose. Now, it has many, many expressions, individual expressions, expressions as a church in many regards, but this is the mission of every person who is a citizen of heaven. And as we outwork this mission, then the kingdom of heaven breaks through in the dark areas of our world, in the dark areas of our nation, and in other nations around the world. See, being a citizen of heaven doesn't just give you a destination. It actually gives you a mission here on earth, in your local community and right to the ends of the earth. We are to live in a way that is consciously trying to lead people into relationship with Jesus. Because do you know what that is? Right relationship with God equals righteousness. We are also to live in a way that reflects just relationships with others. Because do you know what that is? That's justice. Right relationships with God is righteousness and just relationships with others is justice. And that is what we are to pursue and live out on, on earth. We are to lead people into a relationship with God. We are to defend people who are vulnerable, defend people who are powerless. We are to defend those who are marginalized in our community and in other countries around the world because that's what Jesus did when he established justice. You see, what's difficult for us with a message like this in a country like Australia, in a Western consumer-driven sort of culture, is it's very easy to come into the house of God. It's very easy to come into a relationship with God, but to seek a let my will be done type of Christianity, where it's actually not the gospel of the kingdom that we're pursuing, but the gospel of me, the good news for me. What can God do for me? And that can be our pursuit, even though we've come into relationship with God. That can be what we're primarily interested in, where our Christianity is centered on God, bless me. God, do this for me. God, fulfill this need in my life. God, make this happen for me. Where we're not seeking to actually use our talents and our time and our resources to do the will of Jesus Christ, but we're actually seeking to use his power to fulfill our own. We're saying, Jesus, use your might to do this for me so that my will may be done. Now, I'm not trying to say don't bring your needs to God. I'm not trying to say don't seek the blessing of God. Of course, you need to do all of those things, and that's all completely biblically and scripturally sound. But it has to be in the context of pursuing a bigger purpose. That is God's righteousness and God's justice as our overarching mission, however God asks you to express that. Because as citizens, that is the focus that he is asking us to take up, a focus on his justice and on his righteousness. So what does that actually mean? How do you take a big picture concept like that and actually do something with it? In my opinion, the biggest shift that we need to engage with and start with is shifting the values that drive our decisions. You know, when we make decisions, they're not just we don't just kind of pull things out of the air and make decisions. Our decisions are a reflection of our values. So if we want to start making different types of decisions in our lives, we actually need to change our value system. And that shift in our values needs to be a shift from one that is me-centered, self-centered, to one that is others-focused and God-focused. From that pursuit of personal gain and fulfillment to a pursuit of God's righteousness and justice for the sake of other people. Now, we need to have our eyes open to the opportunities around us, and they're everywhere. And we need to have our ears open to the prompting of God. And how many times have we, you know, had those moments where we feel like we might be about our day and doing things and we're busy. We're all busy and we feel like God prompts us to go and talk to someone or to meet someone or to give something to someone and we dismiss it. I can't right now. I'm really busy. I'll be late. And we're not open to that prompting of the Holy Spirit to actually put our own agendas aside and pursue what he wants us to do in that moment for for the pursuit of his justice and his righteousness. And I want to give you an example of what that could look like, and I could draw lots of examples of pursuing particularly justice um, in the type of work that I do, but I don't want to give you an example from my... My my work life from my professional life because it's easy to just say, Well, that's your job. That's what you do. That's what you get paid to do. That's your job. So, I want to give you an example of something that wasn't on my radar that just popped up in my personal life because I think this is what God calls all of us to do is to be willing to put our agendas aside and actually pursue something when we see a need, when we see an injustice. And this example was something that happened quite a number of years ago now while I was living in Cambodia. And for those of you who were here this morning, you will have heard that I had foster children. I talked about one of them this morning, uh, who's with Jesus now. But I had two other foster children as well. Um, And this one, Davi, she was the youngest of the three foster kids. And all of my foster children had special needs, different different types of issues. And she had an intellectual disability, amongst other things. Um, And so she, you know, her development was a little bit delayed. And uh, she also had some health challenges. She was HIV positive. And we couldn't get her into schools. In Cambodia at the time, people discriminated against kids who were HIV positive and they wouldn't let them go to school. And so for the first couple of years, I hired a teacher and I had them all schooled at home and there were some other kids from the neighbourhood who weren't going to school who came along as well. But I really wanted to get them into mainstream schools. And so eventually I found a school that had a, a decent enough um, kind of medical and health and first aid sort of approach and program and trained staff that I thought... I'm not going to tell them that Davi's is HIV positive, and I didn't need to by law. I had in other schools, and it had always meant she got kicked out. So I made a decision that I wouldn't tell them. And so she went to this preschool, and she loved it. She absolutely thrived there. She came home every day happy. It was an international school, so it was a mix of English and and Khmer, and she absolutely loved it. Um, And she was just so happy. And then they had a a parent-teacher interview, and the teacher started asking me questions because he was suspicious. And he was a foreigner, so he wasn't discriminating against her. He just said, look, I want to know because I think this is what's going on. And if that is what's going on, we can provide her with more support because we can actually access more resource if we know. And so I kind of warned him, said, I'm really nervous about having this conversation because typically this is what's happened. And he said, no, no, I assure you that won't happen here. And so I did. I disclosed that she was HIV positive and the nature of a disability that resulted from that. And I got a call that night at about 7pm from the owner of the school who was Cambodian, very, very wealthy Cambodian lady and she said, your daughter's not welcome back tomorrow. She said, I'm kicking her out. And I was mad and I'm not always the calmest person on the planet. Um, and so I entered into a robust discussion, that's a really polite way of saying a fight, with this woman on the phone. And I'm, like, throwing everything at her. I'm getting very indignant. You can't do that. You have no right. That's discrimination, whatever, whatever, whatever. And she was quite calm on the other end. She just didn't really... She responded here and there. But I got to the end. I was like, I'll sue you. I'll do this. I'll do that. And she was like, you do whatever you want. That's fine. This is my school, and I'll do whatever I want. And she said, I'm pretty sure I have more power than you, and your daughter's not welcome back tomorrow. You go ahead and try whatever it is you want to try, but she's not welcome. And she hung up the phone. And I was really mad so I did what every good, mad, expat parent living overseas does and I jumped on the expat forum and I went blah. And it's an online forum and someone from one of the newspapers picked it up. And they contacted me and said, can we do an interview? And I was like, yep. So we did an interview and they put it on the front page of the major English speaking newspaper. And then I, it got picked up by 40 other newspapers in other countries and people start telling me about all of this and going, hey, it's here, it's here, it's here. I then get a call from a man named Tony who was the head of the US government's HIV AIDS program in the country and he said, can we do a domestic press conference and bring all the Cambodian speaking papers together for a press conference on this issue? And I said, yep. And so we did a domestic press conference and then all the Cambodian papers put this story out on their front pages. And then it got picked up by Bundani who is the Prime Minister's wife and she heads up um, Cambodia's Red Cross and they have the mandate for HIV AIDS and uh, she got mad. And so she did what every good woman with power does, what the powerful husband is, and she told her husband. And so the next thing I know, I've got people calling me saying, turn the television on. The Prime Minister is currently bagging out the owner of that school on television. And he jumped on a press conference about a completely different issue and midstream just started attacking this school. And so I realised that this was my opportunity. If I was going to see a change around this, this was my opportunity. And I had to make a decision. Was I going to do something or was I not? And I'm sitting there going... I know this won't be easy, I know this is going to take a lot of time, I know this could be pretty difficult, I know this could be a little bit dangerous, it's not safe to go up against people who are very powerful in this country, I'm busy, I don't know if I'm going to have the time to sustain this. But I felt like God said to me, what about the kids who don't have a loud mum like you? What are they going to do? Who's sticking up for them? This little girl has an empowered parent. What about the kids that don't? because she's not the only child who's being discriminated against in this country. So I was like, okay, God, I'll do this. So the next morning, I turned up at the Ministry of Education, at their ministerial offices, and I asked to speak to the minister. And they were trying to fob me off, which is fair enough. I hadn't even made an appointment, um, but that's minor detail. And um, eventually, and I said, I said who I was. And I'm like, I'm the mother of the, the child who the Prime Minister was talking about on television last night. And at that point, they went, okay. They went and told the minister and they they took me into his office to have a meeting. And his first question to me was, how much do you want? And I was like, wrong question. I don't want her money. This is not going to go away because she pays me. And he kind of looked a little bit stunned. And we had, you know, a reasonable conversation, um, you know, where I had done a little bit of homework and looked into what the laws are and where the gaps were and all that kind of thing. And so I talked him through all that and and sort of basically said, I want three things. You've got this discrimination law that sits over here. It's not specifically linked to child's right to education, even though that's in the international laws. So I want what we call a prakah or a ministerial declaration. I want a specific ministerial declaration made that links those two laws together and makes it unlawful for schools to discriminate against children who are HIV positive and deny them their right to education and I said and on top of that I want that woman to have to go and do a live public apology to my child on TV because I want her to know she thinks she's bigger than the law, she thinks she's above the law but she's not bigger than my God and she is not bigger than his pursuit of justice and I said, thirdly, I'd like that school to be forced to open their doors to HIV educators because this whole fear of my child was only based in ignorance. And if we could take away that ignorance, there would be no fear. And they'd realise that they can't contract it off her just by being in that type of contact with her. And to my surprise, he went, OK. <laughs> and it took time, I'm not pretending it happened overnight, but they did. They actually issued the Pukka, the ministerial declaration. Which effectively changed the law, and I'm not claiming that there was no discrimination from there on. You know, afterwards there certainly was, but it was a significant step in changing the culture of injustice in that country around a particular issue. But it happened because I stumbled upon an injustice. I didn't pursue it intentionally. I wasn't going after. That wasn't my work. I wasn't there to change the education laws. It was an injustice that I came face to face with. And I think so many of the things that God wants to challenge through us, they're not on our radar. But we have to be willing to be made to be available. When we see injustice, we're the ones that know the truth. We're the ones that have God and his word and all the things we need to challenge that, we have to be willing to put our other agendas aside and go, God, that's your will and I will pursue it because that's what it means for me to be a citizen of heaven and outwork my civic responsibilities while I'm here on earth. And you know, we can do this in so many different ways. Everyone's expression of this, as I said before, will look completely different whether it's serving disadvantaged groups in our community, whether it's assisting, you know, people who have just migrated from other countries or asylum seekers or refugees, whether it's fostering a child who is in need of a family temporarily or permanently, whether it's sticking up for someone who's being discriminated against or marginalised in our workplace or in our schools, whether it's advocating for the rights of people with disabilities and making sure every space that we're in is inclusive of them for their full participation, whether it's using our income and our businesses and our ability to generate resources to actually finance and resource the work of missions or the work of of social justice, whether that's locally or whether that's in overseas countries. These are the types of things that we can do with what's in our hands to actually pursue God's mission of righteousness and justice. This is our business. This is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. This is our responsibility. And what I love about this, amongst other things, it's this, it's this holistic approach. It's not just righteousness. It's not just all about bringing people into relationship with God. God is as interested in the justice side of things as he is in the righteousness side of things. He's interested in seeing everything that happens in our community and in our world and in people's lives to be reflective of his justice. It's a holistic approach. He wants to reconcile all things that have been damaged and affected by sin. And it's a holistic way of actually working with our communities. And in our church planning work that we did in Cambodia, we very much took this approach of saying, Every church shouldn't just exist to lead people into this vertical relationship with God, but it should be about restoring their horizontal relationships with each other. It should be about justice too. And we believe that the church should be the primary agent that transforms the environment in which it's planted in. And if it's not, then it's not the city on the hill that is supposed to shine the light into the darkness. And so we embedded that philosophy in the churches that we were planting, and every single church then became the primary source of transformation for their community, leading development activities, looking after marginalised families, whatever it might have been. And the church became known as the place where all your needs can be met, where all your answers can be found. That's what I believe church is about, meeting the holistic needs of people as we those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who have accepted him as our Lord and Saviour, actually pursue his values, the rules and the laws and the will of Jesus Christ, justice and righteousness as our mission, wherever that might be, here in our own community, right to the ends of the earth. You know, every person who believes in Jesus Christ, every citizen of heaven here, you've been given the most amazing rights The fact that we've been given a permanent home in heaven, the assurance of eternity, the assurance of salvation is absolutely unbelievable. And, and, And the grace of God in giving that to us so freely is unbelievable. But we need to make sure that we take up our responsibility alongside that and use the time that we have here on earth, the short time that we have, to leave a lasting impact, to make sure that our footprints look like righteousness and justice when we turn around and see what we've left behind us. You know, God will call you if you ask him. I do not believe that God would ever be silent in the face of one of his children saying, God, use me. God, show me what you want me to do. He will not be silent. He is looking for willing hands. He is looking for open hearts. He is looking for people who will lay down their own will, lay down their own agenda and pick up his. If you call out to God, he will show you. And I I assure you, it will be the most exciting invigorating thrilling pathway and journey to be on no matter where it takes you no matter what difficult seasons you have to walk through to get there when you are in the center of God's will that is where his peace is that is where you will flourish that is where you will thrive and so I just want to as we come into the closing of this I want to also give people an opportunity who perhaps haven't yet come into the kingdom, who haven't yet accepted that right of citizenship by deciding and inviting Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour. I don't want to leave without giving people that opportunity. And you may have done this at some point in your life, or maybe this is the first time you've ever made a decision like this. And you're saying, you know what, God, I, I don't want to just live for me. I don't want my life to just be about me and what I want and my desires. I want, I want a bigger purpose than that. I want to know who you are. I want to know who this God that cares so deeply about humanity that he would actually sacrifice himself for us. I want to know about this God who has the boundless, the most unlimited love for humanity. And if you want to accept Jesus Christ tonight, it's just a decision. It's a simple confession from your mouth that is an expression of your heart to say, God, I just want to know you. I want you to be part of my life. I want you to be my Lord. I want your will to be what governs my life. If I can just ask everyone to bow their heads for me right now, just to give people a moment's privacy. And if that's you, I just want you to be bold I want you to you can just look at me you can raise your hand just do something to signal to me that you want me to include this in your prayer just as a a declaration of saying God I'm going to make this decision today I want to start on that journey I want to be a citizen of heaven and I want to take up your mission here on earth if that's you if you just look at me or raise your hand and I'm going to include you in a prayer that we're all going to pray together right now to just ask Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior that's you just take a moment great thank you excellent there's a few people so we're all going to pray together if you can pray this with me those who are wanting to accept Jesus through this prayer and those who are already part of the family let's pray this together thank you Jesus that you died for us that your love covers us that you want to have relationship with us God we acknowledge that we are sinful we acknowledge that we need you We ask you to come into our hearts. We ask you to be Lord of our lives. We ask you to help us to lay down ourselves so that we can live for you. Jesus, guide us. Help us to draw closer to you, to know more of you, and to live every day with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who made that decision for the first time or you're coming back, congratulations. That is the most amazing thing that you can do is deciding to get your life right with Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, I want you to go out of here challenged. Don't leave this word here in this building, but go out and seek God. Really ask Him. Ask Him to show you what He wants you to do, what His His expression of that mission is for your life. Lay down. What's your own agenda might be, what your own plans might, might be, and let God, be willing to let God completely change that so that you can be on mission with Him. It can be uncomfortable. It can be challenging to, be, to say that to God, but I want to challenge every person in this house to pick up the will of Jesus as our primary mission and calling in our life. Can we do that? Can we be that church that is on mission with Jesus Christ? Excellent. Amen, and thank you so much. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au And thanks again for listening.